The title of our message today is The Victory Over Death, the Devil, and the Grave. That's powerful, isn't it? That we can have victory in all those areas of our life. These are important victories. This is truly life and death matter. We'll be looking at Psalm chapter 18, verses 1 through 19. I want to read it first. I want you to listen to this word of the Lord because this is pertinent to you seeing that kind of victory in your life that you so long for. I know I've seen these victories in my life, and David is recording this victory and remembering what God has done for, for him. So let's read together. Uh, the introduction to this, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, a servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when he was rescued from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. He said, and you could also say he sang, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also mounted and the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering and canopy his around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the cl his clouds. The Lord thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones, coals of fire. And he sent his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth his lightning and routed them. The channels of the sea were seen, and the foundation of the world laid bare at your, your rebuke, O Lord." At the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me on the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted me. Heavenly Father, we desire for you so, to so delight in us that you scatter all our enemies, that no weapon formed against us would prosper, that we would see the victory of the Lord in the land of the living. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 18, part 1, these verses 1 through 19 speak of a great victory, the victory over death, the devil, and the grave. Where I get this title from is in verse 4 and 5, the cords of death encompassed me. This word encompassed, uh, uh, from the word compass, like a map, it's all around us. Everywhere you look on the map, you're finding death. The torrents or, or mighty rivers of destruction, that word destruction there is also, in the Hebrew, is, is the word belal, belal. And you know, 
you may know this word literally is one of the names of Satan, of the devil himself. So you have death surrounding him. And then you have the destruction that Bilal, that Satan brings, that the devil brings. And that assailed me. So I'm being surrounded, and then everything surrounding me is assailing me. That's, that's the idea of shooting arrows against us, of, of trying to penetrate our, our, our fortress, of our shields, of the armor of God around us, that we are being assaulted and assailed. And then the cords of Sheol, or the grave, or death, or, or the burial in the ground, being lifeless, being, being without hope. Uh, and it even speaks more uh, possibly in the New Testament, we see Jesus speaking this same word Sheol at, as a description of hell, the hellfire and brimstone, the separation from God, the eternal damnation, the eternal judgment. And so <clears throat> David feels surrounded by all these things. And, and, and he says this, this the, the, the cords of Sheol, the cords of hell, what a horrible, nightmarish picture of, of cords being tied around you, pulling you down into hell. The, the temptation to reject God, the temptation to live a life of sin, the temptation to rebel against the, 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 the things of, of the kingdom of God. There, there's, there's cords and they're tangled all around me in snares of death. They're confronting me. So, he's, so we see here he, he's encompassed, he's assailed, he's entangled, and he's confronted. And we see these things, but the, the message I'm preaching to you today is a message of hope that we have victory over death, we have victory over the devil, and we have victory over the grave. About seven, eight years ago, um, the doctors found a lump on my throat area here, and so they went in for a biopsy. Doctor told me it's probably nothing. It's just a, uh, these are these are very common, and nine out of ten times they come back as nothing. I did get a phone call on a Thursday evening from my doctor, and she said um, we did find that lump was cancerous. And, and, and I was in shock. I just, my mother had cancer many times. My, both my sisters had, had cancer. This was something that encompassed our family, that assailed our family, that entangled and put cords around our family. And, and so it was a fearful thing to, to hear the doctor say, you have cancer. Well, I did something that I don't recommend people do is, uh, I didn't talk to the doctor very much. I, I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know what to say. And she said, come back to my office Tuesday, we can talk more about it. So from Thursday night till waiting till Tuesday, I didn't know exactly what it was, this ailment, what, what it meant in my life. So I, as I said, I don't recommend you do this, but I, I checked out the uh, WebMD and, and I typed in thyroid cancer. And to my dismay, I, I, I saw two different forms of thyroid cancer. One is, is uh, there's no cure for uh, it, once diagnosed, you probably have six months to live. The other one is a, a form of, of thyroid cancer that is easier, much more easily treated, and the recovery rate is extremely good. As a matter of fact, it says if you're going to get any form of cancer, that's the best kind to get if you could call anything best when it, speaking of the word cancer. But I didn't know for four or five days. I didn't know whether I had six months to live or I was going to be fine. And, and so personally, I understand when David talks about the cords of death encompassing him, uh, the snares of death confronting him, I was confronted with something that caused fear and trembling in my heart. And, and that's the reason I call this message victory over death, because the power of life and death is in God's hands, the sovereign God. He he gives life and takes life away. He ordains the days in which we will live. But he also has victory over the devil. The devil can run rampant in certain ways and 
and means and efforts, but he is under the banner and the control of God. He cannot do anything outside of, of uh, the permission of God. And so we know we have victory over the devil as well and over the grave. The grave will not hold us down. The grave cannot keep us down. The grave is not our, our, our last testament. The, the resurrection life is. So what a powerful message David is speaking here. And I want to get into the details of it because I believe this is going to truly bless you. Even in the introduction here, before verse 1, there's, the, the book of Psalms has these short introductions and this one is powerful in itself. You could preach a whole sermon just on this introduction. David says here, to the choir master. In other words, this is a song we're all going to sing in Israel. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul, he said. And then he begins to sing about the love of the Lord because of the victory that we're talking about here today. This is the second longest introduction of any chapter in the book of Psalms and has a lot of content in itself. He says here of himself, interestingly enough, says, this is a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. This phrase, a servant of the Lord, is only used two other times in the Old Testament besides David saying this of himself. Once of Moses being a servant of the Lord and once of Joshua being a servant of the Lord. Why am I bringing this up? Why is this important? Well, because David is positioning himself in the same context as these great prophets, great men of God, Joshua and Moses. Moses brought them deliverance out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. Joshua brought them deliverance from all the enemies when they went into the Promised Land from the first time at Jericho into Ai and all these other battles that he had to fight. And so both of them were victorious, one bringing them out, Moses bringing them out of evil, and Joshua defeating evil to bring them into a broad place, the land of inheritance. And David is positioning himself saying, put me in the same place. Because this chapter represents my life of seeing God bring me out of wickedness, out of evil, out of enemy territory, but also a victory of bringing me into things. Now, this is the story of Jesus as well. Truly, the Father says about the Son, this is my Son, this is my servant in whom I am well pleased. He, Jesus fits this bill as well. He fits this category as well. Matter of fact, he is the, the greatest of all these, far beyond the book of Hebrews tells us this clearly, far beyond Moses, far beyond the angels, far beyond Joshua who could not bring us into the rest. In other words, Joshua did a lot of good things. Moses did a lot of good things. David did a lot of marvelous things, defeating giants and defeating enemies and conquering these things that we're talking about today, but none of them compare to what Jesus has done. Jesus is truly our victory over death, over the devil, and over the grave. Without him, there is no victory over these things. With him, none of these things can pierce us, defeat us, destroy us, nor even discourage us. We have the victory in Christ Jesus. So David is relating himself to these others to show us this theme that this chapter will take us on, the theme of the Red Sea, the theme of the inheritance of the land. And as we said, it's ultimately found in Jesus. Now, this was written, if you look at, and we won't turn there, but first Samuel, or excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 22, you'll see that this is at, written at the end of David's life. Uh, it, it's, it's 
the, the next chapters after that just talk about how he was preparing for death and how he talked to Solomon, his son, and gave him his, his sort of his deathbed wishes for him. And this chapter was just a few chapters <clears throat> before that. So it almost sounds like at first when it says, on the day that he was delivered from the hand of Saul, he wrote this song. And I'm sure there was a song in his heart when he did this. But the interesting thing about this psalm, and it's so important to us, is this is David looking back at the history of his life. David is looking back and he's recording all that God has done for him. David, as an old man, probably with gray hair, maybe weak and getting feeble now, and gathering his children and his grandchildren and his friends and his and his his come those who fought with him in these great battles that he won, and he he's gathering them around. And, and his heart is pouring out to them and saying, God has never failed me. God has never let me down. God has not once allowed the enemies to triumph over me. Oh, the cords of death encompassed me, but God gave me victory over them. The, the torrents of destruction assailed me, but God gave me victory over them. Belial, Satan himself, came and attacked me, but God gave me victory. Death came for me, but look at me, an old man living a ripe old age and seeing the victory of the Lord in every single area of my life. He's not failed me once. And it's a testimony. This chapter is a testimony. An old man saying, I've been through a lot. I've seen hardships. I've seen struggles. I've seen pain and sorrow. But God delivered me out of them all. What a powerful testimony. <clears throat> As I grow older now and I have four children, and now nine grandchildren, and I hope to have many more. But I picture the, the day as I, as I, it should not, this is the Lord Terry, I picture the day just, just, just knowing my time is, is short to gather them around and just saying, you know what? Cancer came and tried to attack me, but, but God saw me through. I was in a car wreck that broke my back in two places. I wasn't sure I'd be able to walk again, but look at me. I'm standing, I'm walking, I'm running, I'm, I'm working out. I, God saw me through. I, I, I battled depression, but God gave me victory over it. I battled, uh, when I was a young man, pornography addiction, but God set me free. I, I, I battled insecurity, but I didn't have that. I, I've been through trials with, with coworkers who spoke evil of me, who falsely accused me, but God saw me through, gave me victory, put me in a place, a broad place, a place of, of, of victory. And I get that just from this introduction. If we didn't even go into verse one, I would get that from this introduction that says that God gave me a victory. He rescued me from the hand of all my enemies. I want to circle there that word all. Circle that word all. Circle it not just on the page of your Bible, but circle, circle it in your mind. Let, let nothing come into that, to that circle that says, I'll be defeated, I'll be discouraged, I'll be downcast, uh, I won't make it, the devil's going to get a hold of me, this death grip has me, this destruction is assaulting me. Put a circle around that and say, all those things have no power over me. God has power over me. I've put my, hand, my life in God's hand, and he has full power of all things in my life. Oh, looking back at God's faithfulness, God has never failed him and God never will fail him. That God has won every battle. Not a single enemy has prevailed. And now when I look back in my history, all those enemies are gone. And not only that, but David probably could be looking at maybe one of his most difficult battles, the internal battle, the battle that a struggle of sin that he had. Maybe it was pride at times because of his great prowess in warfare. Maybe it had to do with fear, and, they, and, he, and he began to doubt the Lord and the, the lust when he saw Bathsheba and he took her into his own bed. The, the murderous 
rages that were in his heart when he killed, had Uriah killed, he, he could look at all these things and say, this is my heart, this is my, this is my sickness, this is my weakness. And you and I have that same struggle, don't we? We can see the external battles that the Lord has won for us, but sometimes we worry more about the internal battles. Will I ever be free from this addiction? Will I ever be free from this brokenness of spirit? Will I ever be free from this fear, from this anxiety? Will I, will I, will, will I always have to go to the doctor and, and wonder if there's some kind of magic medication for me? Or will the same thing that God did for my enemies, will he do for the enemy within me, the enemy of sin, the enemy of temptation? And David is able to look back on his life and saying, God freed me. God forgave me. God delivered me. God accepted me. God caused me to be righteous. God made me holy. God clean, gave me a pure, clean hands and a pure heart. Hallelujah. God can do that for your life. I know he's done it for me and he's done, doing it for you. We'll do it for you. And, as, and we'll never stop doing it for you. You're going to see the deliverance of the Lord in your life. David also says in the introduction, on the day that, on the day that Saul, he was delivered from Saul, on the day that he was delivered from uh, enemies, on that day he sang this song. He sang this song. Now in chapters 1 through 17, there seems to be a continuous and a perpetual cry, how long, O Lord, when will I be delivered? When will my enemies stop harassing and assaulting me? When are you going to break through and come and give me victory? And you see, like a roller coaster, up and down, mountains and valleys, times of success and victory, and then times of failure and defeat, enemies discouraging him and causing him to be downcast. Verse one through chapters one through seventeen is is a, a a continuous question of how long how long now in verse eighteen he goes how long not any longer how long it's over the battle's been won the victory is here and there are certain days in your life you don't have to wait till you're an old man and look back in all the history of God certain battles you are in right now you're I say you might be saying how long and God has this word for you in Psalm eighteen in the introduction that on the day that on the day that you were delivered, on the day that you were set free, on the day that you were healed, on the, the day that the accusers of the brethren were cast down, on the day that you felt hopeless, God brought new hope. On the day you, were, you, you, you thought you would have no job and God gave you a new job, on the day you, you thought you'd never be married and then God sent you that man or that woman, on the day you, you, you thought the word of God would no longer be alive to you, on the day you thought your sin would overwhelm you, on that day Jesus came and set you free. And on that day then you sing this song. You sing this song of victory over death, the devil, and the grave. You sing it loud. You sing it proud. You sing it like David sang it, dancing with the harps and lyres and guitars and strings and choirs in the background. Now you probably don't have all that available to you, but emotionally all those things can explode out of your heart, all your enemies on that day. On that day, there's an, and some of you might be in a place of still waiting for that, but, but David had that, that understanding. He was in a place of waiting, but there's a day coming. I would say to you, a new song is coming when you'll be able to sing this song on that day. Now, I want to encourage you something that's not in the text here. Take a little side journey here. And say to you something that my father said to me, as a matter of fact, he preached this sermon. David Wilkson preached the sermon at Times Square Church in New York City. The sermon was titled, Right Song, Wrong Side. And it was speaking about the song of Moses. When Moses and the children of Israel were fleeing from 
Pharaoh in Egypt, they got to the border of the Red Sea and it was too vast, too deep, too wide for them to cross with all their families, their children, their, their belongings. And so they were trapped. And Pharaoh and his enemies, the enemies of Israel, were coming against them rapidly. They, they thought time was out and God was not there. And, and then the Red Sea opens up and they, they part, uh, they move through the parted sea and they come up to the other side and the Red Sea closes over Pharaoh and all the Egyptian soldiers, and there's victory, and they sing the song of Moses. It is a song that the, the horse and the rider have thrown into the sea. They're singing a song because now, like David, it's, they're, they're, they're saying God rescued him from the hand of all his enemies. And so a song is naturally occurring when you see the victories, but the encouragement of the right song on the wrong side is God wants to teach us, train us, to prepare us, that he's so faithful, that he's so good, that he's always winning the victory, that he, his faithfulness has never failed and it never will fail, that he'll win every battle. He wants to teach us to sing the song of victory on the side where it seems like we're on the defeat side, on, on the side before the Red Sea opens up, on the side before we see in the natural realm the victory, but we know it in the spiritual realm. We know it in the heavenly realms. We know it in the supernatural realms that God will provide the victory. So why not sing a song of joy right now? Why wait until you see the victory? Why not sing the song of victory even before you see it take place in your life? That'll bring greater joy to you, greater rest to you, greater peace to you. You'll walk around in the midst of these storms, in the midst of these enemies, and people will ask you, how do you maintain your composure? And you'll say, because I know my Savior lives, because I know my Redeemer lives, because I know he's going to set me free from death, the devil, and the grave. No weapon formed against me is prosper. So I'm going to sing my song of victory even now, right now. Now, there's an outline here after we get through the, as we have just gotten through the introduction there. Now there's an outline to these Next, these first 19 verses, uh, David, as I said, he's recalling all that he's experienced, every battle, every fear, every sin, every trouble that he's ever been, and now he's telling the world the outcome. And, it, and it's interesting, these, there's, he, he tells it through three particular aspects of battle. He, he, he tells that there are, there are three front lines, three places where the contention is the most fierce, three front lines of battle we are all in or we all are facing or we will be facing one day. But the great encouragement in these three battles is that in all three of these arenas, we can always sing, we shall overcome. We shall overcome. There's not a, a place on heaven, on earth, or below the earth where we cannot cry out with God, we shall overcome. We will see the victory. These three battles are, number one, the battle on the earth. It's a fight of life and death. It's a battle of life and death in what David says many places in the book of Psalm, in the land of the living. When he uses that phrase, in the land of the living, what he's saying is that there's, there's, there, I know there's coming a time. I'll pass away from this earth and, and he will resurrect me. He, there's an understanding of a time to come. We have that in the New Testament, much more clear that we will be with him for eternity and there's joy and there's there's victory, there's, nothing, there's, 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 there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no heartache, there's no tears. And, and we long and look forward to that day. It's a, it's a joy of, of heaven to come. But David often talked about, but, but in the meantime, 
we live in the land of the we're in the land of the living. We we live here on this terracotta, on this this foundation of the world, and we have to experience the the, the fallen nature of man and the fallen nature of of creation itself. We're we're in this groaning place, and so in the land of the living, we're fighting this battle, and it's and it's a battle of life and death. So that's found in verses one through eight. We'll look at that. The second thing we'll look at is the battle in the heavens. Not only is there a fleshly, carnal, worldly battle uh, that is contention with people and sin and temptation, but there's a battle in the heavenlies. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle between darkness and light. So here's two profound things David is saying in this chapter. We'll read in just a moment. We'll read the, the, the various parts of the text. He's talking about a fight of life and death right here on earth. Are we going to win or are we going to lose? But there's, a, there's a, an unseen realm a supernatural realm that 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 we're not really involved in as fully. We can pray and we can speak into these things to some degree, but it's it's in it's 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 somewhat beyond us. And this is the realm of the supernatural. It's a fight between darkness and light, between between God and Satan. It's a it's a battle in the heavenly realms, and that's found in verses nineteen. Excuse me, verses nine through fourteen. And thirdly, we see a battle in the seas, or we could say under the earth. A battle between drowning and rescue. A battle between being overwhelmed by our enemies, by being snuffed out, by having no oxygen, no breath, no life in our lungs, or being pulled up, rescued from that. It's found in verses 15 through 19. Let's dig into these because I think these are going to profoundly help you in, a, in the daily aspects of your life, in the supernatural realm of your life, and, and even the things that the enemy underneath the, the, the realms of darkness below us, heaven above us, in the land of the living here on earth, and beneath us. All of these things are in conflict, in, 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 in engaged in these battles. And the first one is the battle on the earth, a battle of life and death. I get this from verse 7. Look at verse 7. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The spiritual battle is so profound that it actually impacts the effects of things taking place on earth, in the land of the living, in our lives. Then the earth reeled and rocked. <clears throat> David had been, been running. He'd been hiding uh, in the cave. Saul had thrown a spear at him, kicked him out of the kingdom, put a bounty on his head and his life, and chased David and some of his mighty men, and they were hiding in these caves. And I'm sure they had to be discouraged. And maybe at times somewhat affected by emotions that caused them to be so downcast they wanted to give up. The, 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 the exhaustion, the overwhelming exhaustion of, of sleeping in caves and having to be on guard day and night, the restlessness of this thing. Though he, he had defeated lions and bears and giants and whole armies, in verse 17 he says about this time in his life, it, it was a strong enemy the last part of verse 17 says, for they were too mighty for me. Oh, he could, he could defeat giants. He could defeat bears and lions with his bare hands. He could defeat armies, killed his tens of thousands, the song that was sung about him. But something about this season in his life, you may have had great victories and, and you've seen the Lord work in your life, but sometimes we get affected by certain things. This one threw me off. This one hit me in a different way. And this is what's happened to David. This one confounded him. Here, and the earth reeled and it rocked. He was 
confused. He was overwhelmed. In verse 18, it says, they confronted me in the day of my calamity. There was a confrontation and it caused him to have calamity. But now look at this. He's not hiding in caves anymore because the Lord brought him out. But he does something I think is really sweet here, really precious of the heart of David. He says in verse 1, I love you, Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The, again, this is the right song. Maybe he could have sung it before, but, but I think to a large degree he did. But now he's singing it very clearly. I love you. Uh, I've always loved you, but to see what you've done for me, that so blesses me. To, to see how you healed me, how you delivered me, how you changed my family, how you rescued my children, how you, how you saved me. I love you, Lord. I love you, O Lord. That's, that's the first words of the song of his mouth as he began to describe the decades of victory after victory he had to all those around him now that he's singing to in his old age. And the first words out of his mouth, he says, if I'm going to sing a song of deliverance, the first words I'm going to say is, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Let that be your song. Your first, your first words out of your mouth is, I'm free, or, 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 or I have victory, or I, I've defeated my enemies. That, you're singing a secondary song. The first words out of our mouth needs to be, I love you, Lord. But then he goes on. He goes, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold. Who's worthy to be praised? God is worthy to be praised because now God is that place. He was hiding in literal caves that exhausted him. Now he's hiding in a secure place, a rock, a cave of the Lord, a fortress of the Lord, a strong tower of the Lord. He, God has replaced those dependencies on things in crisis time and, and he's replaced them with himself. That's why David says eight times here, my, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my refuge, my shield, my horn, my salvation, my stronghold. In other words, the, these are things he's not just temporarily entering into and out of. These, this has become his now. This is, this is who God is to him. He's, God is all these things to him. And, and the good thing about this, we understand in David's heart, and I pray that your heart and mine is tracking with David on this, is that he's, he's worshiping and loving God. He's not worshiping and loving strength. He's not worshiping rocks that protect him. He's not worshiping fortresses. You see, he's, he, his, his joy, his deliverance, his victory is that God is my rock. I'm not, I'm not honoring, worshiping, or giving glory to rocks that save me, or fortresses that save me, or shields that save me, or armies that save, save me, or, or chariots that save me. It's God. He is my salvation. My salvation isn't fortresses. My salvation is God is a fortress. And it's, and it's directing things past the things that are circumstantially helping us, the money, the doctors, the home that protects us, the car that gets us to work. He's superseding all those things. And it's God that gives me the power to be in this place of victory that I have now. In the New Testament terms, we say, it's all about you, Jesus. You're, you're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my king. You're my savior. And, and when we say that, we're, we're not glorifying in salvation. We're glorifying that he is our savior. You see, salvation alone, I'm free from sin or I'm, I'm escaping hell. All those things are good. But the but what if you could have those things without Jesus being at the center of them? Or some people ask it this way, 
if you were to go to heaven and have all the beauty and the glory and the splendor, but Jesus wouldn't be there, would you want to be there? And what David is saying here, what I'm encouraging you to say is, no, I, I want Jesus. He, he is all these things to me, but it's him. He is my of all these things. And, and so the things themselves, the streets of gold, the, the, the perfections, the beauty, those things are secondary. What uh, he is those things to me. He he is my street of gold. He is my salvation. He is my rock. When we have that, interestingly enough, no matter what the circumstances around us, we always have that. We may not have peaceful circumstances, but we have the God of peace. We may not have physical health at a certain point, but we have God who's the healer. When we center in, when we focus on this, it keeps us in that place of perfect peace. He who keeps his mind on me will, will stay in perfect peace. This is what we're after here. And then in verse, and so as I already said, he talks then about death and, and Bilal or Satan or the devil and, and, and hell itself entangling me. And in verse six, look at this. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help from his temple. He heard me. God, God heard me from his holy place, from, from his dwelling place. He, he heard my cry for help. What happens when God hears your cry? When you're in distress of, of death and the devil and, and hell itself and the grave, what, what does God do when he hears your cry? He loves your cry. It's interesting and it's important to say that your cry matters to God. It's, it's powerful to say that your cry changes things that your cry moves God, God move. Look at verse seven, then, 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 not before, not way later, then, at that moment, at the moment of your cry, God is on the move, then the earth. See this first battle we're talking about, the battle of life and death. This is a battle on earth, and then as soon as you cry, then the earth, something happened right in your circumstances. The earth reeled and rocked, the fountains of the mountains trembled, and in Hebrew, the next word here is, then the earth quaked and became angry. And I like putting that word in there, in, in, uh, even though it reads maybe more simply in English without it, it's important to put it there because it's then and there. When, this is beautiful. When you cried to the Lord, then and there, right then and there, you see the immediacy of these two words matched together. It, it, it's, it's then and in the place you are. It's in the place you are, and it's an immediate work of God. He came, but he and he didn't come with lightness. He didn't come with trivialities. He didn't come with a a, a nice little suggestion. He didn't come with a a little breath of encouragement. No, he came, and the earth reeled, and the earth rocked. The foundations were shaken, quaking, because he was angry. It's not often you want to make God angry, but there are certain times in your life where you want to make God angry. There are circumstances in your life that you are not meant to tolerate, and you've been tolerating them. You've been accepting them. You've, you've let the devil lie to you and say, like, you deserve this punishment. You deserve this defeat. And, and, and it's time to, to start crying out to God and saying, I need a then and there. I need a here and now as a, as a, a personal uh, uh, way of saying it right in your circumstances. I, I need a here and now. And, 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 it's, and there has to be a time where there's a spiritual gumption, a spiritual fire in your soul to say, it's time for me to make God mad. Not at me, 
but at these circumstances, at, at death, at the devil, at, at, at hell, at the grave. I'm going to make God rise up in anger. God wants to take that sword out of his sheath and fight on your behalf, but he's asking you to cry out to him so that he gets the glory, that it's not just some random act that happens in your life, but it's God moving, and it's so joyful, and, and, it, and it puts us back to verse 1, I love you, Lord, because as soon as I cried, you began to move, and smoke goes up from your nostrils, devouring fire, because he was angry. Hallelujah. There, there's this then and there. Prayer changes things. So don't give up hope. Don't lose hope in praying. Pray night and day. Pray without ceasing. ceasing. Pray until you have the breakthrough victory. The second one is the battle in heavens. <clears throat> and, and, and the battle of heavens is the battle between darkness that you're experiencing and the light that God and his glory wants to bring. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> we saw the first one was verses 4 through 8, now verses 9 through about 13 or 14. He bowed the heavens and came down. Now God is not only moving in the land of the living, now he's engaging in a heavenly realm, a spiritual battle. A, and so not only does your prayer affect things on earth, it affects things in the heavenly realm in the supernatural realm, in the realm of cosmic battles between light and darkness, between good and evil, between God and hell and all of its demons. He, and God comes and he bows down in the heavens and he came down. And look at this, it says, thick darkness was under his feet. So we know that God exists in unapproachable light. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And he, as he comes down, he's coming down into darkness. But as he lowers himself, every every strata of lowering himself, light is above him and the darkness is below him. Darkness was under his feet. Verse 10, and he rode on a cherub and he flew and he came swiftly on the wings of the wind. I love the fact that God is coming down, but he's coming down swiftly with the wings of an on the wings of a cherub and, and he's riding on the wings of the wind. And in other words, the wind's blowing the storm of darkness away. And as he descends, darkness diminishes. The, the further he comes into our circumstances, down to the earthly realm, even below the earthly realm, under the sea, under the earth, that, that he's turning darkness everywhere his presence is. He's turning darkness into light. He's reversing the, the trends of the worldliness around us, of the world and experiences that we're facing. He's, he's taking the darkness that we are, have, have come into and have pressed and encompassed around us and assailed us and he's taking that darkness, and as he descends, you, you see this border almost, and on the top of the border is light and glory and power and victory and wonder and splendor, and below that is darkness, and that darkness is being pressed down and pressed out. It's being trampled, if you will. It's being, it's being put under the feet of God. He's taking authority over all these forms of darkness. And he made darkness his covering. He, 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 he made darkness submit to him and a canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. And out, look at this, verse 12, out of the brightness before him, hailstone and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, brightness before him. Brightness before him. He's bringing brightness into your darkness. He's bringing glory into places of shame. He's bringing victory into places of defeat. He, he continues this. It's not actually in the text we read today, 
But if you skip ahead, look at verse 28. And, and this is almost the capstone of what we're talking about, about this battle in the heavenly realms where heaven is, is coming to earth, where his will is being done now on earth as it is in heaven because of his presence in our life and in our circumstances. And verse 28 is, is sort of the capstone to this. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. He's coming down. He's descending into your darkness. And everywhere he places his foot, darkness flees and light replaces it. This is the goodness of God in the land of the living. Isaiah chapter 60 is so worth turning to and remembering and reading because it shows in a prophetic form what God is doing, what God has done, whether it be Moses, Joshua, or David, what God has done in Jesus' time, what God is doing in our hour, and what God will do when just before the last trumpet sounds, just before the second coming of Christ. It says in, in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness is the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is a prophetic word about Jesus, about wherever Jesus comes, he enters into darkness, gross darkness. Could you not say that clearly about our society in America today, that it's not just dark, but we are living in, experiencing in, the environment that surrounds us, the atmosphere around us is not just darkness, but it's gross, it's vile, it's wicked, it's, it's on the borderline, if not already surpass, equaling or surpassing that which they experienced in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's bordering on the times of Noah before the flood, gross darkness upon the earth, the vileness of sexual immorality, uh, the, 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 the misunderstanding of God's truth about marriage, about fidelity, about the sanctity of life. All of these things are gross darkness. But we have what David has. We have a cry. You hear me, my friends? We have a cry in our heart. And God will hear that cry. And then and there and here and now, he will rise up and he will come down to us. And as he comes, darkness that covers the earth, the Lord's going to rise upon and his glory is going to be seen and nations are going to be filled with light and brightness about rising. Hallelujah. God has a plan. He's not just watching darkness and saying, I can't do anything about it. He is entering it. He is entering to the darkness of your sickness. He's entering the darkness of the problems in your marriage and in your family. He's entering the darkness of your confusion, your doubt. He's entering the darkness of your addictions and your sin and your pain and your problems and your brokenness. He's entering all that and saying, I'm coming with my light and I'm going to light up your darkness and brightness and brilliance will become to you. Flashes of lightning will come down and it will scatter your enemy like arrows bolts coming down and scattering all these enemies that are part of this gross darkness that Isaiah prophesied would be coming in the last days. And, but he also prophesied Jesus coming and like lightning chasing away all those things, whether external or internal in our heart, the things that are of darkness in our own heart that need to be turned from. Well, I need to move on and, 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 and come to the last point here. The third battle is what I'm calling the battle of the seas. And, and, and the battle of the seas is the battle between being overwhelmed, being flooded and overwhelmed, not just by things on earth, 
or the spiritual battles that are in the heavenly realms, but even under the earth, the, the cosmic battles of the, the things that come out, are spewed out of the pits of hell, being, being surrounded by, being flooded by a flood of filth being flooded by the obscenity of our culture around us. Turn on the TV, turn on the news, go to your job in our government, in our schools, in our education. Flood of filth covers, gross darkness covers the land, and it's almost enough to drown you. It's almost enough to make you sink. And, and, and this is the third battle that David talks about, the victory that the Lord has given him. And it's found in verse 15. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, and he took me and drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from a strong enemy, from those who hated me, from those who were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. We see here something interesting. It's it's, it's the, the, the channels of the sea were seen. In other words, there was a battle on earth and then God came and darkness was turned to light. And when that light came, all of a sudden something under was seen, something beneath. It was this word channel here in Hebrew can mean a stream or a river. But listen to this, it can also mean uh, a something to be strong or stout. So, so in, depending on how you would translate that, you could say, the, the, the stoutness, the, str the strength of the seas were seen. Here's, here's the, the, the word picture David's painting here is, is darkness was covering the face of the earth. The, the cry went up. Jesus came down. The Spirit came down. Darkness turned into light, but it revealed something that underneath, there's, there's something even deeper working here. There, 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 there's something uh, underworldly uh, that, that's going on. And David... Uh, Job chapter 6, verse 15 says this, My brothers are treacherous as channels, uh, as torrent streams, but they pass away. And so, in a sense, this is David's cry. David could have understood this is our cry. We understand that, that there, there's something under the earth. There's something demonic. There's something of, of, the, of death and Sheol. That, that's 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 that the pits of hell coming up to try to attack us, but these things, Job said, they're going to pass away. They're, they're, they're not going to continue. Matter of fact, Job later on in twenty eight ten says, he cuts out the channels in the rock, and his eyes see uh, every precious one of us. He, you you are precious. He's seeing the preciousness. In other words, he he blows the winds of darkness away, and now he sees there's still yet a, 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 a an underneath battle going on. Satan's not giving up yet, but he sees in that that these things are going to pass away too. There's hope even in that. There's hope even in death. There's, there's hope in the sense of, of God seeing us in that place where all hell is breaking loose against us. And he says, but I'm going to rescue my precious one out of that. After he brings light of the battle of the earth, he says, there's something deeper yet I, I am about to do. I am about to destroy the power of death. And that's what Jesus, praise God, did on the cross. He didn't just change the circumstances. He didn't just fight a spiritual battle. Thank God he did those things and had victory over them. But he actually conquered the last 
uh, the last battle, the, the, the conquering death and the fear of death. He's given you victory that no matter what happens, my circumstances, even if I were to be put to death on a, uh, 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 as, as, as a sacrifice, not, not a sin sacrifice, but a, uh, as a martyr, you know, I mean, put to death as a martyr, I don't have to reject the Lord. I don't have to fear because he's conquered even in this most uh, difficult of places that possibly God is responding to that one call. Listen to this. One call, one cry. Verse 6 unleashes the power of God on earth between the battle between life and death on heaven in the battle between darkness and light and even below the earth in the battle that we're seeing on, on the earth are being rescued from being overwhelmed and being brought up into a broad place. He drew me out of many waters. That word drawn out is used only one other time in the Old Testament. And it is when Moses was drawn out of the river. Remember, his mother put him in that basket because they were killing all of the, 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 the Hebrew children. And, and Pharaoh's, I believe it's a daughter or daughter-in-law, rescues this Moses. And that word there is drawn out. And, and, and David's saying, there, that's what God did for me. I was drifting in these waters that were overwhelming me. And God reached down in a hand of rescue he brought me into a broad place. David says here, it wasn't just he brought me out of waters, but he said he rescued me out of many waters. Some of us are facing problems singular. Some of us are facing problems plural. Some of us are facing problems in multiples in, in this place of many waters. We're being harangued and harassed on every side, almost overwhelmed, living in such sorrow and anxiety and crisis. One crisis leads to another. One crisis goes and two more come. This many-sided, many-faceted aspects trying to defeat us, to discourage us. But he says, he drew me out of all of them. That's why I like to go back to the introduction. On the day he rescued me from the hand of all all these things, heaven, earth, and below the earth. He rescued them out of all of them. He sent from on high. He took me. Man, he, in part of this descending and coming down and bringing light and darkness, not only is there just this cosmic victory, but personally, whew, just personally came and touches you. Just personally comes and picks you up. Personally comes and rescues you out of a strong enemy, out of uh, a situation, verse 17, that's, that's too mighty for you. You can't pick yourself up out of this drowning place. But God sees you. He hears your cry. And that one cry has defeated in all of his enemies and given you victory over every single one of them. And lastly, in verse 19, and he brought me out into, out and into. Echoing back to what David started this psalm with, it was, was reminiscence of, uh, Moses and Joshua being brought out of Egypt, but being brought into. And he uses this. He brought me out and then into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is so precious. He brought me out and then he brought me in. And when he says here, he brought me into a broad place. This, this word, Hebrew word for broad means an increase or receiving your inheritance of, of an enlargement from where you have been um, pressed and compressed in now to being free to walk in wide places the, the 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 green pastures if you will of psalm 23 and it's not just back to where you were you were in a place of difficulty and being overwhelmed by death 
and by darkness and the grave and Satan himself, and you were being harassed by him and compressed into this narrow place. And, he, and he, when he brings you out, he doesn't bring you out to where you were before. Like, okay, you, you were at level five before, so I'm going to bring you back to level five. He brings you back to this word here is, speaks of an increase, a broader place than you've ever been before. So he brings you out of that place that you started in a five, and he doesn't bring you back to a five. He puts you in a ten. He, he gives you a double portion. He gives you an increase. Uh, he gives you uh, a, a greater place than you've ever been with your life before. And so we can take this psalm, <clears throat> verses 1 through 19, and we could sing, like the hymn says, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord God. It's new every morning. It's new every morning. It's, it's, it's new and it's bringing us into greater places than we could ever experience. You're not just delivering me from death and the devil and the grave, but you're bringing me to a broader place, a greater knowledge of you, a greater song, a greater ability to say, I love you, Lord, a greater sense of you being our rock and our fortress, a greater sense of, uh, I've been through some battles and they've caused me fear, but you've delivered me out of them all, so why should I fear ever again? And it gives hope, and it gives peace, and it gives joy. And you'll become a person rested upon that rock that your spouse, that your children, grandchildren, friends, family, co-workers, church members, pastors, leaders, they're going to see that supernatural stability inside of you, that firm foundation that you have, that unshakable faith, that unshakable peace, knowing that it is well, it is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well, it is well with my soul, because I know in the land of the living, above the land of the living, below the land of the living, God is my source, my rock, and my life. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that this message would not just be heard in the mind, but received in the heart and, and in the depths of the soul and the spirit, that we could become the people that you are drawing us out and bringing us into the things you have for us. We give thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll continue Psalm 18 in our next message, uh, and it's going to be powerful. David says, I was delivered out of these things because you delighted in me. We're going to talk about how to be that person that delights God in a certain way to get his hand to move in such power as we've talked about today. Join us then. <laughs>